0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Transform TV podcast series. Today, we've got a very interesting and very timely podcast that we're going to be discussing on this panel, all about the COVID-19 vaccine and the impact that has on the logistics and supply chain industry, uh, and uh, I think what 2021 is gonna look like. We've, we've talked quite a lot on these podcasts about digital transformation and the impact of digital transformation, the impact of supply chain resilience. I think a lot of the conversation for 2021 is gonna be occupied by transportation and logistics and the elements of supply chain. So I'd like to welcome our guests, but I'm gonna do the honor of having them do the honor of introducing themselves. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. Uh, why don't we start with you, Professor? Why don't you start introduce yourself to the audience and uh, let's let's get going.
1: Uh, thank you. I'm David Simkelevi. Um, I'm on the faculty at uh, MIT. I've been focusing on uh, supply chain for the last 30 years. Thank you.
0: Great. Roddy?
2: Sure. Uh, Roddy Martin. I'm the Chief Digital uh, Transformation Officer at Tracelink. Uh, and I've had my roundabouts in AMR, uh, Gartner, Accenture, and, and Oracle. Um, I would say that uh, the fundamental point here is that uh, Shabir, the CEO of, of uh, Tracelink, brought me on board to help him turn the Tracelink serialization platform, which Pfizer does use, uh, into a supply chain platform. And I know it sounds like a very trivial task but it's not so trivial because one is compliance focused and the other one is end-to-end movement of products and we're going to talk exactly about that scenario right now so thanks for the opportunity to be on the panel.
0: Sure thank you Roddy. Mirko.
2: Hi Maria, good afternoon everyone. So I'm part
3: of Pfizer uh, within the Global Supply Chain Organization. I'm I'm responsible for the Central, uh, sorry, Eastern Europe and Central Asia region, um, encompassing supply chain operations in the area of um, logistics, demand planning, and um, customer service as well. Class of 32 markets spanning between Balkans and Baltics on the way to uh, you know, East to Russia and Mongolia, and um, yeah, very pleased to be here and um, be we host again by you again.
0: No, thank you so much. Well, let's 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 dive into this. I think before the, the the podcast started rolling, we were chatting about the uh, the impact that COVID has had on the supply chain and. Um, What would you say is the outlook for 2021? What should supply chain leaders be focused on right now or what are they focused on right now? Um, Professor, why don't we start with you?
1: So if you are asking uh, about supply chain in general, then uh, something that uh, you can call a silver lining, is companies will start focusing on, and we see this already, on supply chain resiliency. We have been talking about supply chain resiliency and developing uh, analytics and uh, uh, algorithms that allows you to identify hidden risk in the supply chain and to design mitigation strategies effectively for many years. But there were very few takes, few companies have used Uh, these types of technologies uh, to identify uh, risk and to design strategies that allows you to respond when there is a disruption. Clearly the last uh, uh, 10, 11 months have changed that. And we see more and more companies focusing on it. But if you focus on (laughs) vaccine supply chain, that's completely different perspective. Remember, that in the last 10 months, innovation has been extremely successful in bringing to the market new vaccine. Manufacturing is scaling up at an amazing pace. The challenge is to make sure that the supply chain, the logistics network, the distribution network are at the same level, bringing vaccine to uh, uh, different communities. Just generating, developing the vaccine, producing the vaccine is not enough. And that's where we will see whether or not supply chain are up to the task. And and there is something to remember. We had 10 months to prepare for the distribution and the logistic network for this task. This is not something that happened from one day to the next. This is not a disruption. As a result, we need to make sure that the next ten months are successful in delivering product to the market.
0: What, Roddy? What do you think could be the biggest letdowns? What could be uh, the things that go wrong?
2: Well, I mean, I wanted I want to pick up on something that uh, David Sunkalevi said, and that is, um, you know, let's hope that we can proliferate this innovation cycle all the way to vaccinated patients, because yeah. I think in the UK, somebody said a vaccine doesn't mean zero COVID. And mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, that's really true. So the point, the point being is if you go back 15 years, it took us 10 years to bring a product to market, then Novartis came up with launch a product in a thousand days. Now we've just launched a new vaccine to clinical trials in a hundred days. I mean, that's phenomenal innovation but that doesn't mean that somebody is uh, vaccinated. So I think that the biggest challenge is going to be maintaining all of the environmental controls around those vaccines uh, to get it to where it needs to be at the start, right? And unfortunately, it's gonna be a a moving ball game because it's gonna start off by being, you know, everybody who uh, is eligible for a a vaccine stand in a line, and we're going to vaccinate you. But then we're going to get to the point, maybe middle of next year, where everybody else starts standing in the line. And now suddenly it's going to be, well, where do we get the vaccine to what place so that everybody gets a chance to be vaccinated? And this is where I like, and you've interviewed John Gatorna because the outside in patient driven demand segmentation plays such a big role because there suddenly we're going to say, well, we need, you know, 20% more in, in Wisconsin, we need 10% less in, 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 uh, in Georgia. So, so I think the segmentation and the environmental conditions are going to be the, the two pieces that uh, could very well uh, take our legs out underneath us.
0: Mirko, I've got a question for you. So you you're, first of all, you know congratulations great job in the innovation i think everyone here is uh, can agree on the fact that we what you guys have achieved in such short order is just phenomenal but what do you do now to ensure supply chain preparedness how wide is the gap realistically between where you are and where you need to be
3: well actually thanks maria first of all i mean it goes without saying i mean we we're actually proud and um you know, personally, and, and, and you know, from what I'm hearing from my colleagues, it's pretty much shared feelings. You know, you can happier or less happy at work throughout your career, but I can hardly recall a moment where we have been prouder of the work we do and the company we work for. So uh, it's great. And that gives you that extra boost of motivation to go the extra mile, which is exactly what require, what's required to go the last mile, essentially, mm-hmm. so, so, um, I really like a couple of things that David and and Randy were saying because, in fact, it's uh, it's about you know getting the product from say from inoculation to the patient's arm. You know, it's just like you know you you can't possibly miss any any bit of, of that entire supply chain. And yeah, I wish really we had ten months to prepare. Uh, in fact, we didn't because you know there are some product features that were only clear um, later and. Um, for us, having a product that needs to travel at minus 70, Celsius degrees means that it's um, it's all about creating a brand new supply chain infrastructure starting from scratch. So, mm-hmm. banking on our systems and on our knowledge, um, but you know, many of the our existing supply chain nodes are not going to be used um, for this specific uh, this specific product. We've never had something like that. The most important, um, obviously, it sets the challenge on to the dispensation points, you know, the point of delivery is for us, uh, because essentially they will need, need to be able and equipped to manage this vaccine. So for us, I must say, if you ask me, you know, how far are you compared to where you should be? I'd say not too far, really. I mean, we started already delivering to a few countries. You know, we had our first um, patients vaccinated outside of clinical trials, um, you know, in the UK and this week we also delivered to Israel. Um, so I mean, of course, you know, there are different models that you need to have in place, also from a system perspective, um, you know, from financial flow perspective and so on. But but you know, with that said, we I don't feel relaxed, not at all. I mean, none of us probably does, but at the same time I feel confident that we are really on the right path and we really don't know when the FDA and the EMA approvals are going to, to arrive and we hope they will follow. Um, but, um, but clearly, you know, we, we know that we need to be ready in a matter of days, potentially. If it's taking longer, well, it's taking longer and you know, we'll still be ready, but uh, basically that means that in the moment those approvals kick in, you know, we need to be re- ready to start with, with our shipments. And I think we're we are not in a bad place, really. But clearly, as I said, we're doing a lot of work also with, um, with our institutional customers, the ones who are going to receive those products, because although the product won't be um, ours for me anymore, and the you know, incommensurable disproportion that exists at the moment between supply and demand makes it a real responsibility for us, the need for making sure that no vial goes to waste. We really can't afford that, for that to happen. And that's going to be the case, at least for a while, um, we really hope that other um, pharma companies can step up and you know, get to the point of bringing the product to the market because at the moment you know, we need efforts and by everyone you know? and if we want to get to a point of like herd immunity, global herd immunity, obviously we we'll be able to do this on our own
0: yeah, yeah, well, we of, need, of yeah. course not with but, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to inoculate to get herd immunity we need about 70 yeah. percent of the population Correct. inoculated which is you know what like six billion people or seven five yeah. point something billion people inoculated yeah. across the different different countries different geographies i mean david we were talking about this third world yeah. countries you know their their logistics networks and infrastructure yeah. you know how is that going to hold up
1: yep maria can i put this in perspective uh, by asking three questions And I think the answer to the three questions help us understand the scale of the challenge, but also the strategy. The first question is who? Mm -hmm. Because we have limited supply, not everybody can get it at, at the beginning. So who gets it is a very important question. We'll come back to that in a second. The second question is not only who, is the how. What is the supply chain strategy that allows you to deliver um, to those that you identified when you answer the first question. And the third question is the well. The supply chain strategy is going to be different in different regions. So mm-hmm. let's start with that. If you just start to see the magnitude with the yeah. first question, you realize why this is an enormous challenge, right? We have limited supply. Not everybody can get it there will be this allocation decisions that needs to be made and they already uh, are being made. But one important question um, that you have not seen a lot of discussion in the public media, but I'm sure it's a top discussion, is this two doses requirement. We yes. know after the first dose, there is some significant uh, um, impact, positive impact, on the patient. So here is the question. Should you split the entire available supply at the beginning into two portion, reserve the se- one, mm. one half for people who receive the first, the first vaccination or should you give everything as a first uh, dose to people so that you increase the impact of the first vaccination process? That question, the answer to that question will have a big impact on our strategy. Now in in the US, at least in the public media, I hear that decision-makers, the FDA, prefer the first strategy. Take the entire available supply, split it into half, give the first shot to people, wait 28 days or 21 days, depending on who the manufacturer is, then give the second one, but it's not clear that Z strategy is better than the second strategy, which says, whatever we have, let's give it immediately as a first shot to everybody.
0: And you know what? The, going back to the first question that you asked, the who, that those goals are changing regularly. You know, some countries and by geography, by region, some states will distribute to these people and not to these people. Uh, so that must be very hard for the likes of Mirko uh, and his colleagues to sort of have a different logistic strategy for different regions, different departments, different um, would that would that be right?
2: And, and if I can chime in, sorry, Mirko, if I could just make one point, And that is, it's going to change over time. Oh, for because sure. the first three months, we're going to re- go to the, the, the first, uh, uh, um, I wanted to say the first offenders, the first offender. And then thereafter, we go to the next, but it's a continually moving uh, um, target. And so you have to keep adjusting where you're shipping your stuff to. And that makes this, to, to David Davidson point, a really difficult challenge to exactly, go. Exactly, exactly.
0: Has, has any, okay, let, let me take, let, let's do a historical let me, thing. If let's you go don't back. mind.
1: Yep. Uh, no, go ahead. Adding one element to the first question. The, in the first question, the who question, the, there is at least in Europe and in North America, you, you hear a lot of discussion, which is an important discussion about equity allocation and distribution. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that this is done in a fair way? Mm-hmm. Answering that question is an enormously important first step that decision makers have to, otherwise you will see people starting to lose face with what is done at a global level. So, so the, remember three question, the who mm-hmm. question, is a very important question that need to be answered uh, at a fair stage.
0: And answered, uh, you know, so different for different areas, you know, so it's not a, a very simple who question that, exactly. you know, that you just go and say, okay, in the UK, we're going to do it this way. It's different everywhere. What I was going to say is, has, has the, to go back to your point, David, that you said that You know, uh, innovation has been amazing. Manufacturing has been amazing. All eyes are currently on supply chain and logistics. All eyes are on how we as professionals handle this because from this, it'll redefine and reshape the way supply chain and logistics is handled for every other industry. But have we historically ever had anything like this, any test like this at such a large global scale?
2: I mean, my comment is gonna be brute force and ignorance. I mean, let's look at the second world war and the Manhattan Project and nuclear bombs mm. and uh, you know, 9-11 and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we've always reacted to these. Okay. We've never been proactive and we have the chance to, to David's point of being more proactive than what we could have ever been. And, I, and so to answer your question, I would say no. I think we've started to demonstrate we could be more proactive, but I don't think we've seen that. I mean, let's hear what Merka has to say.
3: Oh, well, I fully agree. I mean, honestly, this is like the biggest product launch in, in you know the history of human mankind, and it's, uh, it's quite amazing that we're talking about a potentially life-saving product and uh, one which has very peculiar traits. So if you think about all of the consumer products we're all so familiar with, I mean, you've never been talking in the the areas of billion, sorry, uh, yeah, billions in in first year. I mean, it's something that is beyond any any possible projection. So, so no, I fully agree, Roddy. I mean, no, I don't think we have ever seen anything like that. Um, For us in particular, again, it's made particularly daunting by the fact that the product specs are so unique that, uh, you yeah, know, we, we really had to start all over again, you know, create a, a very sort of like just-in-time type of supply chain, um, which reminds a lot of the Toyota model, more, more, more than, than anything else we have ever seen in, uh, in Farmer. Uh, no, with no discredit to the Farmer supply chains, but obviously um, there, there have been other industries that have been a bit more advanced uh, so in terms of like uh, automation and just in time, lean
1: um, principles.
0: So,
3: and so- this
1: this brings us to the second question, which is not only who but the how. Because ah. of the challenges that you have identified, it 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 it's instructive to think about the challenges, right? Ultra cold um, uh, uh, supply chain. Once you, the product is unfrozen short uh, uh, a life cycle D- distribution at a scale that is that is um, massive that's why you are talking about uh, a Toyota type of strategy in time because you need a speedy supply chain this is not about efficiency typically we talk about efficient supply chain trying to find the right balance Here, time is everything, responsiveness Mm -hmm. is everything. And that's why, in my opinion, Pfizer selected a supply chain strategy where they control in partnership with Federal Express, we have Mirko here, uh, the supply chain of vaccine, but they partner with Macassan on the kit uh, distribution Mm -hmm. strategy. But now, you have another level of challenge because you need to bring two supply chains to uh, uh, converge at the same location. So you have challenges here on top of the challenges of the unique product. Challenges on
0: top of the challenges. That's layers upon layers of of, of complexity, but I like what you say, it's not necessarily your typical supply chain, which is efficiency and cost saving. This is a a very unique set of circumstances here that may or may not be repeated again, Um, but it definitely is a a learning uh, opportunity for everybody. And again, to the point that I'm making, I think it will impact supply chains moving forward for whatever products, because we're now gonna be tested to you know, to see how how we can stretch supply chain as an industry, as a profession, uh, it, it, would you agree? Disagree?
1: Completely agree with this point. But I would say we always talk about collaboration. Think about Pfizer supply yes. chain. Now you are talking about detailed collaboration across multiple levels. You have Pfizer, not only the manufacturer, but also in charge of the entire logistics. You have partnership with Federal Express. You have McCassen who is responsible for the kid administration logistics network. McCassen is also working with Federal Express. You In the US, you have the states responsible for where the product is, is going to uh, be delivered to. And how do you manage this multi-partner process in an effective way so that at the end of the process, the, 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 it's not only vaccine, it's vaccination process. to, to Well, l-
0: let's add something else here. I mean, there's, unlike most supply chains, you've got to win over people's trust. Uh, you know, that's a very important part of this, isn't it? You know, if, if the, like you said at the beginning, there's no point in having a great vaccine if people don't, if, if it's not in people's arms and we don't get the results that we need, right? So um, can we talk briefly about security and risks and, um you know data. The,
2: the, and data. data yeah
0: okay because there is
2: no one big pot you know to I, I don't want to look for all the reasons why you know things can go wrong but but the thing that concerns me the most is if we wanted to go from reactive to proactive even just move the dial a little bit we need some big pot of data that we can tap into decide Where are we going to send what? I mean, I love the framework that that, uh, David simka has created. So who gets what, where, and what are those conditions? And, And a lot of that can be defined in the data. And you can track as you're moving from one phase of supply to the next phase of supply, where are you in that data? So that's why I wanted to add data to that mix. I think impor- this is
1: a critical, this is a critical point. And again, I, I like the Pfizer supply chain because of its partnership with Federal Express. But it really uh, highlights Roddy your point about data. Federal Express has in- invested dramatically, significantly over the last few years in making sure that they can track shipment every everywhere in their logistic and supply chain. That will play an important role. The point I'm trying to make their internal data will not be enough. We will need external data to complement their internal data to understand whether conditions are going to disrupt distribution in a specific country. Uh, Traffic congestion at a port will delay shipment. How do you make sure that you bring either the product to people or, in my opinion, the strategy will be bring people to the product? in order Mm -hmm. to do the vaccination. And I will highlight this and and pose by saying, it's easier to bring people to product than product to people. I I think that philosophy will be critical in, uh, I'm sure North America, I'm not an expert on what is done in Europe, but in North America, this emphasis bring people to the product Will be part of the solution. I think I had
0: I had where, uh, read about that about certain warehouses where you know the product is stored and people go to the product. Was that in China that they were? Th- I think in China I read somewhere that they were doing that. They were testing the vaccine that way. Um, Mirko, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something you guys have all discussed?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we've been discussing this, you know, by by far and large. I mean, um, I, I want to recommend to a, a few a few aspects that have been called out. Okay, so the first one being. You know, about data um, and about the necessity of integrating with external data so in our case you know we not only that we need to create a dedicated supply chain but also um, you know when, when we talk about infrastructures we're talking about also the specific boxes that we're using you know for, for the installation um, and certainly, last but not least, the sensors that we're using, so that are, based, you know, pure IoT sensors, okay, so like with uh, real-time monitoring of the, you know, geopositioning as well as um, as temperature, okay, and all the way through with a dedicated control tower that monitors that 24-7. Now, that's very interesting piece, in my opinion, because we have been talking about uh, real-time monitoring of temperature for many years by now, I mean, those devices are not something that is super new to the market. But on the other side, um, I think in the back of of my mind and like my mind, you know, many others, there was always the point, so what are we going to do if you have an excursion, escalation? So you need to have some sort of like control mechanisms in place. Now the point is, to which extent can you possibly automate those control mechanisms? So like creating some sort of like escalation paths uh, you know, decision trees and, and rules that can be um, triggered very, very quickly and very independently. Because the point is that if you want to gain that level of agility um, with, to, with that type of 24-7 type of control tower monitoring, obviously, you need to have those things in place. Now, clearly, yes, I mean, it is not sufficient to rely on the, on the data that come from your partners and your suppliers. But you also need to really have the pulse of what's happening to the product, to exactly. the virus, specifically at every single moment in time, because this so sensitive.
1: Yeah.
3: And I think, with regard to the point of getting the people to um, to the to the product right, the other way around, I guess you know it's something that, in my opinion, is also partly happening um, because clearly, I mean, normally the, the path you would follow for a vaccine uh, would you know, leverage channels such as, you know, pharmacies or GP practices. And now this is obviously not going to be the case for this very specific vaccine. You know, if I just um, take a step back from, from my role in my company, but in general, from what I heard in the news, and particularly, you know, what I was hearing in North America, were many, many concerns about people um, in smaller towns and, and, and communities uh, the concern being raised with regard, okay, so the product is going to be only available at first in the larger centers, so I need to travel perhaps 10-15 miles to get my product. Um that's uh that's certainly a decision that doesn't depend on um, I mean it's not something that we take, it's not something that we have to demand manufacturer to, to decide. But on the other side, I think you know, if there is a concern raised about the fact that you need to travel 10-15 miles and maybe take um, you know half a day or a couple of hours off. And I guess you know, you know, getting to the point of having people to go to the vaccine and not the other way around is probably much easier said than done because it's going to encounter a lot of um, probably public um, public concerns with regard to people being able to do that. So. Mm.
0: Well, that's not, not to mention again, we talk about that might work in the United States or Europe or the UK. What about third world countries? You know,
1: exactly.
0: you know, what about remote locations? You know, in in in. in you know, how is that going to work?
1: Yeah, if I can add to Mirko's point uh, about the people to the vaccine or vaccine to people, my understanding is that once the product is unfrozen, there is a relatively short life cycle. If this is the case, what I am worried about as part of the how is that you have um, some product, say on um, uh, February 15 that are almost about their end of life. I am hoping, I am hoping that out of this discussion will come a call for the need for developing a platform where if we have products that are almost ending life cycle, there is a platform that allows people to log in and say, hey, I live in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm willing to go and get a vaccination because you have products that otherwise you need to basically dispose. My point is uh, we need to complement this with information that allow us to minimize or eliminate waste in this supply chain because waste can be tremendous here. 10 days, uh, Mirko can correct me, but from just reading in open uh, uh, public publication, uh, 10 days is very short, and you can end up wasting a lot of vaccines that otherwise could have been used for people who are, say, uh, um, at the back of the list, Mm -hmm. but they're willing to um, register and to get the vaccination immediately.
0: Well, to go back to Roddy's point, data is gonna be absolutely essential here in in something like this. You're right, creating a platform like that uh, will be very, very vital.
2: And and Maria, I'm gonna touch on something David added to my comment. He said, you've got FedEx with, uh, with McKesson, But you've also got um, somebody who's doing the first part and you've got Pfizer. Now suddenly you've got three different sets of data. Now you've got to bring all that data together because uh, we all know that uh, R. Martin is not R.M. Martin, it's not Roddy Martin, those are three different people but they actually are all my name, right? So we don't know how each of these systems are gonna deal with it. That to me, is one of the biggest reasons why technology could be the underlying disabler if we're not very careful uh, in respect of moving from a reactive way of delivering vaccines to a more proactive
0: way. And again, to go back to the the issue of uh, logistics, uh, do you think that logistics providers in general are geared up for this kind of, uh, situation that we've got here. I mean, you know, airlines, we're going to need collaboration. You talked about the collaborative supply chain. We're going to need help from airlines, from trucks, from, you know, you name it at a scale that we've never seen before. And, you know, we, we're, I know we've got Mirko here that, talking about Pfizer, but there are many vaccines. There are a couple of vaccines that are on the table right now. And as Mirko said, we need the help of a lot of other pharma companies, manufacturers, to be able to inoculate whatever, 6 billion people. So how is all that data going to work? How is all that collaboration going to work? Do you find that um, that this could be the 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 best of times for us? You know, it could be the best that ever happens to supply chain, or um, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen?
2: Well, I mean, the detail is really the devil's in the detail of the data. I mean, that's the bottom line. So if we don't have data that allows us to dig down specifically into the context of the data and the origin of the data, it's it could end up by being noise, you know, and I, I don't want to dominate the discussion, but I think it's a it's a very valid point because serialization, which is a unique identifier on every vial of product, will only work if that is being tracked and sensed and recorded all the way from the manufacturer all the way to the patient. So now suddenly we've put another wrinkle into this whole data thing. Well, you've got uh, personal data, you've got serialization data, and you've got location data. It's suddenly, you know, we actually need to have an architect of uh, the, the influenza, or let's say the vaccination architecture uh, CIO
0: mm-hmm. paid
2: for by
1: somebody. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts, Mikko? Oh, sorry,
1: David. Go ahead. Well, one, just focusing on your question, with the enormity of the challenge, comes from the fact that you have multiple manufacturers with different technologies. Uh, what we have seen so far, Pfizer has been focusing on direct to the market, partnering with McKesson on the uh, uh, logistics of the administrative kit. The other manufacturers are partnering with McKesson on the distribution. Um, of the vaccine itself, uh, that all of this is a challenge because part of the distribution is using dry ice. Dry ice in the distribution po- uh, process is a risky material, is a hazardous material. There is a limit on how much you can put on uh, carrier, Airplane. on airline, yeah. uh, on airplanes. Mm-hmm. That puts a big constraint right. on the supply chain that constraint translate into a big impact, why? Because um, Federal Express has limited capacity. So you want to use commercial airline. When you use commercial airline, you need to take into account capacity has been down just in the last few months by yeah. 40, 50%. Where do you get all the available capacity will be an enormous, an enormous child I have seen now in the US, uh, experimental trial distribution strategies where the government partner with Pfizer, partners with Federal Express to experiment how this process is working without the vaccine, just uh, just delivering imaginary product to make sure that we can uh, converge the multiple supply chain into the point of impact. That part of the process is critical because we cannot expect the type of challenge that Mirko, and I don't want to talk uh, for Mirko, is, is facing starting basically next week. Mm-hmm. Mirko, thoughts?
3: What's in general? <clears throat> um, I think, you know, my, my overarching thinking here goes in the direction of uh, we got to be very pragmatic. So we need to understand that the, the situation that we are in at the moment is, um, is very um, incidental. Uh, meaning that you know it is you know the start of the process, uh, and my um, I think you know my predictions would go in the direction of um, say we sit in the same panel and the months from now and probably we're going to talk about something that is completely different because clearly we we're going to have many more competitors to the market. Uh, we're gonna have products that probably have a different level of stability um, you know in terms of also of uh, you know stability specs that we' may be aware of today compared to what we're aware of in, in six months time. And uh, and clearly you know w- when you start sitting okay. that you start with the highest level of precaution possible. And then over time you start to understand you know where you possibly have some of um, you know streamlining opportunities if you will. So, so I guess to go back to your initial question, Maria, on um, third-party providers, I mean, it, it is pretty obvious that this is something that no one was really ready for. Um, if I if I zero into my, you know, the product advisor is bringing um, is to the market, nothing, nothing like that was available. So, so clearly that was a bit of a to growing moments growing tests for also for the for our partners and, and you know service providers and clearly that's also something that uh, has led us to take a decision to maintain as much control as possible and improve. of course you, normally you talk about active cooling and passive cooling when it comes to products, but you can't possibly talk about um, about ultra low temperature in these terms because there's nothing like to bring yeah, a trader to minus 70. So, so that, that's, that was basically a necessity that we had to more in the direction of a very, very direct, um, that, you know, I suppose to our other farmer manufacturers, possibly they, they might be facing the same type of decisions at the moment, uh, but clearly with the product has a different level of stability. Uh, if we look about the standard to trade product, Maybe, maybe there's a chance they they could leverage uh, the existing networks in a slightly more, uh, you know, pragmatic way. But on the other side, um, it is also true that again the attention given, and then I'm going back to the point of like the disproportion between supply and demand, the, the balance of the system right now, level of attention to to this point in particular makes it necessary to take extra level of precautions. And I think over time we'll see. I hope to shift towards something that will become more of a perhaps, seasonal vaccine something that will you know the, the virus itself maybe won't be as dangerous for the you know like a pandemic um, compared to what we're assisting at today and then maybe at that point uh we'll see that things will start to flow into a standard uh, network what those standard networks will be looking like though is <laughs> different question because no, just finishing to what we think. I think uh, we're seeing a shift in the supply chain, and what has happened will leave us um, scars. I mean, it's just uh, undeniably And I'm not saying scars with a negative, um, you know, sort yeah. of like con- connotation, but I'm saying that it will it will basically absolutely transform the way we look at supply chains.
0: Well, I think I think you're absolutely right. It's not hyperbole to say that it will absolutely be transformative to the entire supply chain industry. We've got time for one one more question, which I want to first off, ask uh, uh, David and and Roddy, what should we be looking out for in the next few months in supply chain? What are what are the things that uh, supply chain leaders should be focused on um, for the for the next six months ahead?
2: Yeah, I mean, let me dive off and give David the second chance. I mean, I think the biggest issue is as we use the vials of vaccine at uh, vaccination sites, what happens to all the containers that have been used? Because if we go fast forward by six months, those could very well be the containers that get filled with water or whatever and become the uh, diversionary or the uh, counterfeit. counterfeit products of the future. It's a, I mean, it's a small issue. We could sit here and say AI and machine learning and databases. It's not that. we got to get, and I think David made this point, get the basics nailed down, and then let's figure out the rest of the
1: sophistication. Mm, that's a very valid point. David? Uh, my, my, my feeling is that uh, the next 12 months are going to be transformative, not only in terms of vaccine. The challenges that we have seen highlight what companies can do to dramatically improve supply chain, vaccine supply chain, and otherwise. And uh, the examples that we are talking about, that we have talked about for a long time supply chain resiliency. Let, let me highlight this with respect to Mirko's point. Uh, three months from now, we may be sitting and identify, oh, here are some challenges. If we design a resilient supply chain, the idea is we should be able to mitigate for the unknown unknown, for the type of disruptions that are difficult to predict. The second is exactly what Mirko was emphasizing. The the, the, the idea of taking sensor data, um, external data, combine them with analytics and provide an effective Mirko call it control tower. Let's think about this as efficient response. The ability Mm -hmm. to divert allocation because we have seen a disruption, a delay, a congestion, anywhere in the network will be some of the things that executive will focus on. And I think we will see the next transformation of supply chain. I really believe that while COVID Created an enormous pain and an enormous challenge across the globe in manufacturing, in innovation, and in supply chain. We are going to see the next wave of dramatic change in uh, the business, which will enable business transformation. I truly totally believe this is the silver lining that is coming out of what we see right now. Yeah, and to and to uh, to point to your
2: and and almost amplify your point, uh, David. Look at how Procter and Gamble sensing on the shelf to prevent stockouts changed the supply chain for everybody else. Yeah. Just yeah. that one simple: we lost a billion dollars because of stockouts. Let's put the right things in place so we know when stockouts are happening. And look how supply chain has changed. I think we're going to see the same kinds of scenarios. Exactly.
0: Mirko, you, uh, f- your final thoughts, your final words. Since you're, you're there in the thick of it. Uh, so uh, what are your final thoughts on this?
3: Um, thinking about what type of challenges we, we could face in the course of next year. Legend-wise, I guess uh, probably mm, the biggest one that comes to mind is um, going back to normality. And by normality, I mean, I don't want to use the inflation word. You know, I'm talking about the fact that obviously, you know, the bulk of our um, resources and even mental focus and words.
0: sorry, You're, you fr- I, you I you I lost you there. Are You there?
3: Yes, I am. Yeah, there mm-hmm. we go. Yeah,
0: you, I I missed a, you muted out for a second. So sorry. Go ahead again.
3: Sorry about that. No, I was saying you know that naturally you know all of our mental energy went towards um, yes going at the moment towards the vaccine. Uh, but we have a whole portfolio to be looking after, and uh, those products are, are equally important. Now, we didn't let go of those. Uh, uh, but clearly, I mean, we need to more re-establish a bit of um, balance in terms of where we prefer, because meantime, I think the, the work that might happen in a situation like this would be to just go all efforts towards addressing the, the issue you have at the moment, and forgetting to lay the foundations for the future. So that's something that we need to take into account, and I guess for next year, as we hopefully assist to a situation that is improving worldwide, um, probably you know we'll be also in a, in a position to start looking again towards a you know strategic build up of our future.
0: Well, I wanna thank you gentlemen for being part of this conversation. I don't think it's gonna be the last. I think we're gonna be having many conversations over the course of the next few months as and when things start happening. I I do think that you're right, David, this is a potential silver lining and could be completely transformative in terms of not just supply chain, but in terms of innovation, manufacturing and enabling business transformation as well. So let's watch this space. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being part of the Transform TV podcast series, and no doubt we'll see you again very soon. Thank Thank you, you. Maria. Thank you very much.